To the Madcast. You're listening to a podcast that seeks to bring the church world and the art world a little closer together. My name is Matt Anderson. I am so glad you could join us today. And a reminder that uh, on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast, uh, a five star rating and review, always appreciate it. Let me just give a reminder to all of you creatives out there. As a creative Christian, you pose an incredible threat to the enemy's plans. We have an enemy. We alluded to this last week on our discussion of politics. Our enemy is unseen. It's not um, people who belong to a certain political party. It is uh, an unseen thing that seeks to thwart and even try to undo Uh, the things of the kingdom of God. And there are fewer things in the Lord's arsenal that are more powerful than uh, a creative believer who is giving their all to glorify God and uh, change the lives of others. And so you have to realize that the enemy of your soul is that for a reason, and he opposes you because you are a believer, but also because of what you are making and creating, because uh, it's something that he can't do. He is not capable of creation. He is only capable of perversion. And he knows how effective creation is, because that is who God is, the creator, And what I want to do today is to talk about how our gifts are always under attack as artists. And I want to use two biblical examples today in that. The first one is going to be the prophet Elijah. Uh, Now, Elijah was, he was gifted and empowered of the Lord to do miraculous things. And uh, Elijah exercised those gifts as God gave him opportunity. And really, that's all we can do as artists. Sometimes we we really get caught up in how many followers we have and how many many retweets and how many likes, all that kind of stuff, and how big the audience is. But it's more just using the opportunities that God presents to us. And Elijah would take full advantage of those. Uh, And in 1 Kings 17 and 18, I mean, there are some amazing things that happen through this man. Elijah used his prophetic gifts to declare to uh, Israel that uh, there would be a great drought across the land. Israel at the time had evil royalty, uh, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Uh, And sometime later, the Lord then sent him to a village where uh, where God worked through Elijah in supplying a widow and her son with food through the entire drought, because the drought did occur And they were out of food, but because of his obedience, uh, Elijah was able to um, sustain this family in the midst of what was a a great crisis, and then would end up bringing the widow's son back to life later when he had apparently died. Uh, Shortly after that, he would single-handedly take on 450 prophets of the false god Baal. 
And then God responded to Elijah's prayer by sending fire down from heaven and consuming the sacrifice that Elijah had set up. And the 450 false prophets were all slain and all taken out that day. You talk about a man using his gifts as the Lord empowers him to do it. And hopefully you have experienced the same things. I mean, it may not be as dramatic as what Elijah had. Uh, And it may not be tremendously public or even with large audiences, but the significance is in the obedience. And that might be for one person who's in a hospital bed. That might be a family member who is tremendously discouraged or a co-worker who we are inspired to write poetry for to inspire them and to remember that their hope is found in God. Whatever that is, the audience always changes, but the faithfulness of God remains the same. And that's all he asks of us too. Um, As believers by faith, we believe that the Lord has inspired or asked us to make or create something. And uh, again, it may be something only a handful of people see, or something that merits national attention or even more. Uh, But that's not so much the significance. It's not how God scores. It's more just being faithful in what he's asked us to do. Now, let me just remind us of some good theology here, because sometimes we make Satan more powerful than he really is. Uh, And he is definitely a mighty foe, but the great thing is we serve the almighty God. And one of the things we have to remember about our spiritual enemy is that the devil is not omniscient. I think too often we think he knows everything, and he doesn't. Whatever he learns is strictly through observation by him and his demonic lieutenants. So when you and I begin exercising our gifts to the glory of God and the betterment of people, hell notices. And Satan's forces, the army of darkness, will come after those gifts. I mean, spiritual warfare is real. I think there's a brand of Christian that tries to pretend it isn't. Uh, to me, it's like the Matrix. And they've, they've taken the, the blue pill and they're living in some kind of a false reality. There is real spiritual warfare going on behind the scenes. Uh, and yes, our fleshly sinful nature that we all have to deal with uh, is by far the greatest source of our temptation. But there is also spiritual warfare that is meant to discourage and dissuade us from using our gifts again. So let's let's pick up Elijah's story now in chapter 19. He's done two amazing chapters here of works. This is right after he defeats the 450 prophets. When Ahab, he's the king, got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, 
for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Boy, this guy is living an artistic life because we as artists seem to really swing from one end of the pendulum to the other. So Elijah, after expending himself so faithfully, now has his own life threatened by the queen, who was really in charge, by the way. So he flees, and then he just falls into a depression. I mean, I guess the reviews were in, and it was not well received by the influencers. And forgive me if I sound trite when I say that, but what I'm getting at here is a weak point for most artists. Many of us are still very insecure about our gifts, especially if we haven't quote-unquote made it. And so sometimes there's a lingering doubt that can sort of, like a cloud, just hang over our head, and it makes us wonder, can I really do this? And this is what the enemy tries to drive a truck through. This is where he goes after your gifts, when you've done something right, when you've done something well. He will try in those moments, and it's amazing how the timing of that works. Uh, It's after opening night, or the opening of the exhibition, or the book release, or the big reveal, that we must guard our hearts, because this is where... The enemy will try to take advantage of our vulnerable moment and try to tell us it meant nothing. I'm sure Elijah assumed that when he did this amazing thing on Mount Carmel and God answered with fire and 450 false prophets were gone, that that would turn the tide. That would be the thing that would overthrow the evil king, the evil queen, but far from it. Now that evil queen is threatening him personally. He's number one on her hit list. You know, it's difficult when we give our all and it seems like the needle doesn't even seem to move. We feel like the tree that falls in the forest that no one hears. But please understand, creative ones, please understand that the enemy's plan is unoriginal, but it's effective. He wants you to stop. He wants you to stop creating. He wants to stop you from getting better at your craft. He wants the creating to stop because few things reflect the glory of the Father more than when he anoints us to make something out of nothing, because that's what he did and does. Art that glorifies God is injurious to the kingdom of darkness. So the enemy of our soul will use whatever tactics he can use to get us to stop. He's trying to discourage you. He's trying to tell you you're not effective. You're really not good at this. You're fooling yourself. You're wasting your time. You're wasting your money. And no one around you is telling the truth. Our friends, he says, are enabling us. They're they're not willing to tell us the hard truth. Besides, nothing we're doing really matters anyway. I'm sure Elijah was completely spent. I'm sure he was frustrated. And now he's afraid. And now he's depressed. He had done all of this. And all the wrong people were still in charge. 
seemingly nothing had changed. So what was this all about, Elijah may have been asking. Isn't that a question we sometimes ask? We created something, we gave complete and total energy and focus and time of ourselves, and it did nothing to really move people, so we think. It can send us to really deep, dark places. That's where Elijah went. He just said, I've had enough. Lord, just take me. Clearly, I'm just in the way. I'm just an obstruction. I'm not helping. I'm hurting. This is exactly, my friend, where he wants you to be. Satan is going after your gifts. He wants you to stop. He wants you to put the paint and easel away. He wants you out of the studio, out of the theater, out of the workshop, out of the dark room, out from behind the lectern. He wants it to stop. He wants you to stop. He wants you to doubt what God has given. It's back to the Garden of Eden again. Did God really say? Here's what helped Elijah later on in chapter 19. The Lord shows up and says, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Verse 15, listen to this phrase. Then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. And the Lord was going to find him his successor, Elisha. Today, if you're tempted to quit and stop putting yourself out there creatively, I would invite you to present yourself to the Lord and wait for his voice, wait for the Holy Spirit to speak in your heart and remind you of who you are. I would invite you to go back to the written word of God, to what doesn't change about what God says about you and who you are and what he's done in your life, what you've been given, and then go back the same way you came. Go back and that's where you'll find the path again. Just go back and pick up the pen and pick up the paintbrush and pick up the camera because there's still work to be done. Let's go to a heartwarming story from our human interest reporter, Jeannie Moose. 
Meet Bob Covid. You heard me right. C-O-V-I-D. Bob Covid. A 44-year-old mechanic from Newberry, Ohio. Until this year, he lived a quiet, simple life with his wife of 20 years and their 16-year-old daughter, who runs track at the local high school. All of that changed this spring. We recently interviewed Bob at his garage. <laughs> and I get a text from a friend, hey, you're, you're in the news. Well, that was, a, that was a scary thought because that, you know, that usually means something bad. So I called him and said, uh, what do you mean? He said, have you seen what they're also calling coronavirus? And it just went from there. Oh, it went all right. When the identifier COVID-19 was used to describe the cause of the global pandemic, Bob suddenly went, well, viral. Well, you know, suddenly all my friends, they're calling, they're texting, they're messaging me. I couldn't keep up with it. Bob COVID had become a local celebrity. But it wasn't all good. Yeah, I actually... I actually had someone message me on Facebook, and they blamed me for losing her job at a restaurant. You might be wondering why you've never known anyone with the last name COVID. Turns out it wasn't the family's original name when they arrived from Eastern Europe a hundred years ago. Well, my ancestors, uh, they were named Covidnik, but they decided to Americanize it when they arrived here. I'm not sure those great-grandparents, when they nicked the nick from their name, could have foreseen their Americanized version now being associated with quarantines and lockdowns. But Bob is making the best of it. He started a side business making t-shirts for his friends that say, I'm with COVID. And then there's the controversial family photo with matching shirts stating COVID forever. For her sweet 16 party this summer, daughter Jenny decided on a COVID-16 theme, which didn't exactly endear her to the politically correct set. And, just in case you were wondering... No, there was no Corona beer at the party. Sorry, Bob, but we had to ask. I'm Jeannie Moose for the MatCast in Newberry, Ohio. to give one more example of our spiritual enemy coming after our gifts. But on this occasion, it was literal. 
whereas the first segment was more geared to those of us who are maybe sometimes insecure in our gifts, this final segment will target those who kind of have attained a level of mastery in what they do and regard. And what happens here is a literal showdown between Satan and Jesus. Satan throws him three specific temptations in his way, in the hopes of ruining our chance at redemption. He's trying to get Jesus to sin so that he cannot be the final sacrifice on the cross for our sins. I think two of those three temptations seem to be aimed at the Lord's gifts. Here's what I mean, and I'm going to read from Luke chapter 4. Verse 1 says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. Now, here's the other example. It starts in verse 9. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, He will order his angels to protect and guard you. And they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, The scriptures also say, You must not test the Lord your God. And we know that in the first temptation, Jesus responded by saying, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So here's, here's where I'm going with this. If we have a level of mastery and success in our gifts, it's not just us who know it, other people know it. And a lot of other people know it. <laughs> the enemy will try to use our gifts against us in order to ruin our integrity or our credibility. So in the first example, Jesus is fasting and, of course, hungry. So Satan tells Jesus, hey, use your little magical powers and you can just turn that rock into a loaf of bread. Eat up and, and of course, sin by not fulfilling the vow of fasting Jesus had made to the Father. Satan is reminding Jesus that he didn't even have to wait until someone made some bread. He didn't have to go to a merchant. He could just do it right there, right now, and have it. And that may be the enemy's favorite phrase of all time, right now. I think that's his favorite phrase. I I, I once, a, a therapist who I deeply love and respect, once defined the word lust as the not willing to wait. And Satan is all about the right now. Jesus could just do that, have it right now. Right now is the source of many of the sins that we commit. We want something right now that we shouldn't have at all, or we're not meant to have yet. And this is what Satan is trying to get Jesus to use his gifts to do. And he's basically saying, look, you've got all this power at your disposal, so put it to good use here. Just boom, make yourself a loaf of bread and eat up. That sounds so innocent. But Jesus responds, he's like, no, I don't live by bread alone. I live by the word of God. 
once again, just like Elijah, hearing God's voice through the written word or through the spirit is where we truly find life, even more than food and water. But the point is, the enemy was still coming after his gifts to use them against him and to, uh, to ruin him. So in that second instance, when Jesus is taken to the top of the temple and he's told to jump off, to basically show off his power, Satan even twists scripture to say, hey, look, the angels are going to catch you. Isn't that what the scripture says? Do you think God will let you hit the ground? I think this is why Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy. He does both times. He says, don't put God to the test. In other words, don't do foolish things assuming the Lord will fix it or just brush it off. He's saying, don't test the limits of God's kindness. Now, this is before the cross and before grace, but the truth remains, we should not take God's grace and his word for granted. The enemy wanted Jesus uh, to give in to pride and arrogance and show what he could do. And if he did, you would not be listening to this podcast, and I sure would not be recording one, because we would all be lost as lost could be. Yeah, Satan handled this one personally, and he threw everything he could to try to lure Jesus into using his gifts against him. And my friend, if you are successful in your art, whether in fame or wealth, please understand that it opens up an entirely new arena of temptation and battle. Now our gifts can be used to deny ourselves absolutely nothing or to believe the good press. Just as much as we shouldn't believe the bad press, we start to believe all the wonderful smoke being blown in our general direction. And when people keep telling us how amazing we are at what we do, Eventually, we lose our perspective that we're still God's children who needed to be rescued and still need to be sanctified. The enemy is coming after your gifts, either to convince you to stop or to use them to glorify self rather than the Savior. We need to consecrate our gifts to the Lord. May I encourage you to do that regularly? It just in prayer, just to say, uh, Lord, I consecrate it. It's, it's a way of making it holy, making it acceptable in his hands. Lord, I consecrate my gifts to you. I never want to take for granted what I do. I know that everything comes from you. Every good and perfect gift, as James 1 says, comes from above. Consecrate your gifts to the Lord so that when we create and it isn't well received, we won't question our ability or the one who gave us that ability. Or if it is well received, we will realize that it is a sovereign act of God and not a vehicle to self-indulgence and arrogance. Protect your gifts at all costs and continually dedicate them to the Lord because he is the author of all of it. We appreciate you being a part of the Madcast. Our theme music is by Sound of Fusion. We hope to see you again soon. This has been a production of Monumental Ministries. For more information about our books and resources, go to mattministry.com. Hey, thanks for having me over. I had a wonderful time. <laughs>